0: Fact about my guest today: Her YouTube videos went viral, literally. How did that happen? Why that happened? And why her comedic genius is now so beloved globally? Well, you'll find out that and so much more in today's episode with Alyssa Lamparis. A O K. Hi, everybody. My guest today is Alyssa Limparis. Alyssa is a comedian, actress, and YouTube star. Her recent film, Too Late, is getting incredible reviews. Her YouTube channel has exploded. She has a podcast called Crazy in Bed. She first trained at UCB and does stand-up all over the country. Her comedy show, No Bad Days, has a cult following. And she has brought us all endless, endless hours of comedic relief, pre during and post pandemic and I'm so honored to have you Alyssa on the podcast welcome wow what a that is such a kind opening that's so sweet thank you
1: so much I really I really appreciate that it's yeah it's mutual I feel I I do yeah I I I, it's really nice to hear that you've enjoyed my stuff during the pandemic because I've enjoyed making it so it's a two-way street so it's nice yeah
0: Well, so much of your work and and folks can find you on YouTube and all the places that they watch video content and they can find your movie. Um, But I feel like so much of your comedy comes from two things, growing up a Greek person um, and your relationship with your family and then your incredible observations about life through your singular lens. And I wanted to... um, I don't know. I want to go back to like origin story vibes and just get a little bit of a sense of um, like where you grew up, who was in the house you grew up in, sort of what were the early influences that bring you into our homes today? I would just love to kind of hear your story.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say, you know, that my comedy comes from being Greek and from my family uh, and observations, but that makes sense. I, I grew up, you know, in Seekonk, Massachusetts. And I lived with my, you know, both my parents and my grandfather, my papu lived with me as well. So I came, I, I grew up in a house with a lot of family and Greekness.
0: <laughs> what were sort of the early influences in your own life that brought comedy front and center into your brain? Yes. Definitely SNL, and um,
1: we watched a lot of old school stuff. So I came up with a lot of my dad loved showing us, like I Love Lucy and The Three Stooges and um, Honeymooners and Seinfeld. So and The Office. I mean, I would say those are all the comedies that were biggest in my house. Um, but my dad I loved it re- like
0: The Three Stooges and
1: Seinfeld. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Yeah. But it makes sense to me too, because I'm like, I love that. Like I, yeah, I really, I do love physical comedy and I feel, yeah, that The Three Stooges is that, but then Seinfeld's just great at sort of observational comedy, yeah.
0: And what about like, were you, a lot of comedians that I know are actually, um, impressively shy in their life when they're not performing. You know, there's this kind of rap that they're all extroverts and just love to be on. And, um, and I know that that's not actually true for everybody. And I just wonder when you think of yourself, even as a kid, like how would you describe your persona in that way? Yeah,
1: like I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself shy. I was always, I would say, talkative I remember getting in trouble at ballet for talking too much at the at the bar so I definitely was like uh I like my you know my dad was my dad was really funny I liked being funny with him so I feel we were I was encouraged almost it was like I I was yeah I was social growing up but I'm very introverted so I feel that's something I've discovered later in life is like Mm. I'm not shy but I do Need a lot of time alone in order to recharge. Not
0: not a pandemic's amount. <laughs> we yes. reached
1: the limit for sure. Yes. I, I
0: <laughs> plenty I, of that. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. when you say, okay, so you your grandfather lived with you and yes. you grew up in a Greek household. Were your parents born in Greece or in no, the US?
1: Actually, not even my grandpa. So my great grandparents were born in Greece. So I'm like a few generations down, but my mom grew up like on the same street as all of her cousins so i had a really big and and both my parents they met at a greek dance we went to church every week so i feel like i just grew up culturally very greek but no it's it's pretty extended who was actually from greece interesting
0: because yeah. i had me of our dallas on the podcast and sort of that film for so many of my friends all all the films my big fat greek wedding was so meaningful and it yes. and then it translated to no matter where you were from because there yep. was such a universality but what did that movie mean for your family it was huge it was
1: yeah i mean everyone loved it that movie was yeah it was huge it was really cool to see just any like anything when you watch something you go oh man i'm not alone in this thing or this is this is felt by this exact same experience i'm having is felt by this is universal is a cool feeling.
0: And did you go to a Greek school or were you in non, were you in public schools in Massachusetts?
1: If you can believe it, I was in Catholic school my whole life. And then as well, I would go to Greek Orthodox church and go to Greek school. So I had double whammy. I was getting from every angle. I was going to, you know, church and getting religion. And do you speak Greek? I do speak Greek. Yes. Are Um, you fluent? No, I, I, I am not fluent and I, I can I can kind of like do accents well. So I can say a pretty minor amount of things and then I'll say it to any Greek person and then boom, once they respond, I'm out. And then, and then they think I speak, so I kind of have to go along, but pretty much I can only say the basics. And then once yeah. anyone starts talking to me, thinking that I speak better than I do. You're out. Yeah. But that was something I used to do. I remember back in the day before I even spoke Greek, I used to work like, the coffee hour. I was in Goya, like Greek youth. And I remember that was my favorite gag to do was to, to see how long I could talk to a Greek person without understanding what they were saying. So just kind of going like, oh, oh, yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Responding with expression rather than actual sensible things. And And did you go ahead? No, I was just going to say, it's interesting how like you
1: can, um, you can learn a lot. Like it's like, you kind of can tell what people are saying without understanding because of expressions and stuff. You sometimes don't even need the words. If they, Yeah, you can tell from their face
0: what they're saying. What's it like growing up with a grandpa in your house? Yeah, I mean, so for,
1: it wasn't my whole life. I had, you know, we had a close relationship with both sets of grandparents, but then when my grandmother died, when I was about 11 or 12, my papu moved in with us. So I was, my grandpa lived with me throughout my high school years. And I think it was really great because at a certain point, my brother graduate, he was a few years older than me. So it would have just been me in the house with my parents. And I never had that. So it was kind of nice. Like I never felt too much pressure or too much focus on me because my my Papu was there. And so we became we became buds.
0: So that's what I was going to ask. You have a sibling. I have a sibling, an older brother, yep. yep. Did you guys do comedic bits together? Not really. My brother
1: is really, really funny, but he's really smart. He's a, he's an engineer and he was like valedictorian. He went to Princeton. He's like a really smart guy. So I would say I, um, yeah, he was more of the brains of the operation. So <laughs>
0: it's good to have brains yes. in any operation. Yes. Talk to me about like finding comedy, writing comedy, understanding jokes, like where... Did this, was it intuitive? Did you kind of study like people who inspired you? You talked about your dad being someone who kind of brought comedy into your life, old school and and new school as it were. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a combo. I think I always
1: had, I always loved comedy. I was always drawn to comedy. It felt very uh, part of me. I, 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 yeah, my dad and I did, theater when we were younger like he would do community theater with me we did sketch comedy together when I was younger I did plays when I was really young so I I always was very drawn to comedy but it it took me a long time till I decided like no I'm going to study this and focus on this and make this a priority. That, that so, a did while. you want to
0: be an actress? I mean, you are an actress now, in terms of how the public views you, um, because you're reaching a whole new audience with this film than totally. than just your comedic niche, as it were. So, did you aspire to be an actress first?
1: Yes, yes. I now, I now that I look back, I'm like I. Yeah. I always, I always had comedic instincts. My close friends were always really funny people. My dad was really funny, but when I was younger, I really wanted to be an actress. And when I graduated high school, I really wanted to move to LA and I just wanted to like, try it. And I remember my parents being like, why don't you, why don't you go to college first? And then you can go and and do whatever you want, Um, which I'm grateful for. But I think I really wanted to be an actress and then comedy really. Once I found my, I was a runner. So I was doing, I was running all the time. And then when I found improv people, I remember just being like, this is like a language thing. These people are speaking the language that I like to speak. And it just felt so cozy and comfortable and home that that's where I kind of stuck for a while.
0: And did that happen in college?
1: That happened in college. Yeah. I had a, you know, I was, yeah, I was a competitive runner in high school. I went to college to run, but it was never, it was like, It just what yeah I I I loved it I loved the team aspect but I dreaded the running part (laughs) and then I remember when I found comedy being like oh you can like all the parts of it you can I don't have to dread like there's not a lot in my day anymore that I dread which is nice because running it was like I like all the parts of it but I the minute a race was over I'd be dreading the next race yeah um
0: where did you go to college
1: I, I went to college at Middlebury in Middlebury Vermont okay and Yeah, I ended up like really depressed my freshman year and I got an eating disorder and it was kind of like, I couldn't run anymore. So, and then I found improv and it was just like, oh, I I would say that freed me and healed me and was the start of my real, like coming into myself.
0: Uh, Yeah. So you have a podcast that I mentioned before called Crazy in Bed where you and your best friend um, really uh, are so honest about all the different things that you've yes. gone through and, and eating disorders are certainly part of the, the narrative yes. and, and and the comedy yes. um, and the generosity, true generosity from both of you in sharing your, your truths with strangers who then yes. get to feel less alone in that way. But, you know, I just think so much about things that sort of crop up for people when they leave home for the first time or just Maybe it is also just you age into certain issues and totally. they kind of rear their heads. And And do you feel like looking back, it all of that stuff sort of started earlier or was it kind of, I don't know, what's your sense of that?
1: I think my, my sense, I think for a while, if you'd asked me that when I was a sophomore, I would blame like a situation or an event, you know, my grandpa died. I'd gone through a breakup. I was away from the home. I was just like, I think it felt like probably every piece of me that I, that was special was like gone. It just felt Mm -hmm. like probably I lost, but the older I get, the more I'm like, and the more I learn about my family. And it's like, I think it was probably. I was predisposed to this. I don't think, I think it would have always been something, you know, if it, if it wasn't that event, it, it, would have, it would have been something. Um, so that's the tough part of college. I think you have so much structure and protection at home in high school, structure in particular. I mean, you know, there's almost no time. And then college, it's the first time you are exploring yourself and your brain and you don't have as much structure. And inherently, I think things are just gonna start popping up.
0: the comedy helped and this group of people you met Yes,
1: because I think I think I I just it was probably my way of not even feel like not like feeling lost or alone and not feeling like I knew who I was I always felt a little off you know and then I remember finding comedy and being like okay okay this is like things are these people see the world the same way I do it maybe maybe I'm not off, I was just maybe in the wrong spaces or I wasn't doing the right things. And I've kept following that maniacally. I really try to, for my even mental health, make sure I'm like in spaces and and worlds that that feel right to me,
0: yeah. And so when you went into school, did you think I'm gonna get a degree in A and then immediately just was right back on the comedy road or what was the intention? I, 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 I feel it was probably more
1: on, honestly, it was more like, I want to graduate high school and go to LA and act. And then it was like, no, you have, you have to go to college. And then I probably was like, yeah, I should go to college. So let me go to college. And once that's done, I can go act. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if it, there, like, I didn't have the wherewithal to be like, Oh, what can I do in college that could make me feel, it was more like, let's get this over with. Right. So I, There wasn't
0: a plan B like, let's was, do this
1: and get right back to plan A right but i also was you know i was also an academic person my you know my family was big on you know just doing well in school so i studied psychology i i studied spanish i i kind of yeah i i ended up doing finance my first year out of college so it still was a windy road before i landed on pursuing acting full time so
0: how did you go from like your first grown-up job Mm -hmm. to pivoting right back to the thing? Or did you do them both side by side for a while? Yes, I did them both. So, you know, I was very naive and I was like, I just need a day job in New York
1: City. I'll just go be a financial consultant. And then it was like- So you moved to New York? Yeah, I moved to New York. Step one, okay. Step one, I was like, I just got to get to New York. So there was this job where I could be like, yeah, financial consultant. And I was like, great, I can pay the bills while I take improv classes and do stand up at night. Um, But that job proved to be very- you know, lengthy. It took my, I was traveling Monday through Thursday to different parts of this. It just, it didn't work to do both. Um, but I got a real taste of what life could be like without it. And that really helped me. I think that's been my anchor that job was amazing. The people I worked with were amazing. I really loved it, but I felt that same freshman year feeling of like, you're ignoring something and we can feel it. The body can feel that you're not doing something. And so I'll never forget. I, it was a laborious decision to quit. It was scary, really scary. You know, no one in my family had done this. I just didn't really have an idea of what it looked like. Yeah. But I remember I got a waitressing job and I remember biking from the Lower East Side to my apartment, biking from my first shift with my shift meal in my thing, in my like carrier and feeling just like this, I'm, it's begun. And that now I'm, now I can chill and it's, that was the, that was the biggest move to me because all the things along the way were great, but it was like the decision to be like, finally, this thing you've maybe wanted to do since you were, you know, 16, you're just trying. And so that's it. That's, you don't have to really worry anymore because you're at least, you know, you're at least on the road.
0: Yeah. So what was your first set about that you wrote? Like what were, what was your first stand up What were you writing about? What was it? I would say it, it was always about my life so I was making jokes
1: about the fact that I was working for this finance company or my dating life but I will say I really don't think my stand-up got really strong until my dad died I think something about like I had an opinion I had something real that was heavy that I had to talk about that that's when I think my stand-up changed for like this thing is is because before that I was still young I didn't really know what I was I don't know. I didn't have much to talk about. I don't think. So So, how old were you when your dad died? So he's 20. So I was was 24. I want to say when he got diagnosed, um,
0: with brain cancer,
1: With brain cancer, my dad was super healthy, you know, just like, so yeah, he got diagnosed and I moved home and, um, it was just a really bad year, obviously. And it was just every day sort of losing a, a part of my dad. It was just such a, I don't know what way is better, but it was a particularly vicious way because you were just watching it happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, as well, if you know, like anorexia, right? Like people who are drawn to that are control, I'm a control person. So, so this was like the antithesis, you know, it's like this thing you care about more than anything is literally slipping away every second and there's nothing you can do and it yeah that was it was just a it was a brutal year um it was a beautiful year I got to spend time with my dad I got to have this these moments that a lot of people you know don't
0: get but it was yeah it was really hard and I can tell like all these years later it just hits you like a ton of bricks every time that comes up and so the idea. That seeing this emotion, like completely beautifully take over the idea that you can take something so raw and so painful and make it into something that you were able to share with so many people is so extraordinary to me, right? Like that, that you can live in both spaces, that you can be present with it and have it feel like it was yesterday, yeah. and then make it into this piece of theater that is brings so much joy into the world like it's so wild that yeah. that both things live in the same place in the same world in some way
1: thanks yeah they they definitely do um and i think that in many ways it was just like i needed it i needed to have people be there to listen and laugh with it to it it almost took it was like let's like share this let's share this together and your gift is being here listening to me and, and my gift to you is I'll I'll make you laugh a little bit it's mm-hmm. like I'm just telling you what's wrong yes. and what I've been through but I'll sprinkle in jokes to to trick you into listening exactly. It's <laughs> exactly
0: exactly exactly yeah. do you remember do you remember because it's probably been a while since you've done it because yeah. we've all been in lockdown we're talking in in June of 2021 this yeah. is going to be out in the world forever but just to kind of root it in a place and time do you remember the first line of your stand-up show no bad days um
1: I do and it's actually uh it I'm big on like changing based on the sort of the theme and it was um it was right before Halloween and so I just remember being like hey guys thank you all for being here I know that you guys obviously Know what's going on. It's been a really hard time for me. I'm 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 going through a lot. I don't know what to be for Halloween. I can't decide what to be for Halloween. And then
0: yeah, I uh, so it was just yes. Um, that was is that where it started. Is that the first draft? Like is is it still where? Or that joke might
1: done since then, but I I would say there's a lot of the bones have stuck from that first one because so much of it was so raw and real that almost it was like, that's the goods. Cause that stuff is like, so I wrote like, you know, months after it happened, but as the shows evolved, as I've evolved and grown, as my life has changed, new jokes are, are made, but the bones, there are some moments that have been there the whole time.
0: So the thing that kind of, I don't know, like the thing that just maybe gets the most clicks if you're you, I would imagine, are these incredible videos. They're short and like, they're delicious. It's just like candy each time of you as your mom, impersonating your mom, inspired by your mom, shot with at times and written with your mom. Um, Is that something you did pre-pandemic or was that born out of quarantine?
1: No, no, yes, that was pre-pandemic. That was- um, That was one of my first things that I did after that solo show. That was kind of the first foray back into comedy. And then I worked at Condé Nast for a while, making videos, learning how to make videos. Um, And that was awesome. I learned so much there. Um, And then I was sort of learning how to make videos. My mom ended up moving in with me in New York City. She was in a really tough spot at home. So she was like, why don't I come to the city and get away for a little? Mm -hmm. And I was spending so much time with my mom as an adult in New York city. And my mom is like the most suburban woman (laughs) in the biggest city in the world. She's never like left Rhode Island all of a sudden she's in Massachusetts and she's like in New York city being just as suburban. And it was so wild to me. You know, I was 25, all my friends were, there was no one in my life, like never before this had I seen anyone like this in New York. So I just was like, Hey, let's start. I just made that first one. And then it was really fun. And I just kept making them. And they always kind of just followed my life. Like if I was moving, we'd make a moving one. If, you know, yeah, we were on vacation, we'd make a vacation one.
0: So how does she feel about being a
1: celebrity now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she likes it. I think um, she's a really good sport. And I think, luckily the comments are almost always very sweet. And either along the lines of like, this is just like my mom, this makes me miss my mom, or I wish I had a mom like this. And so I think uh, my mom, my mom is, you know, maybe at a place in her life where she was not feeling so good about herself or about Mm -hmm. just everything because it was, you know, everything was changing. And I think those videos were a equally joyful thing. Like we both got a lot out of them because it was a reminder of, to her even of like, Hey, look, you know, you're like, look at what all these people are saying about this version of you, you know, um, this, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and so how does that change your career? Like everyone hears, there's so many people who talk about now as actors, not even stand-ups, that in order to get a job, you need to have followers, you need to have views, you need to have this like huge social media presence. You can't just be an actor anymore or a comedian to get a show. You have to like also have an audience that you bring with you. Has that been your experience and how did you understand or intuit this moment culturally and what you wanna be and do with your career? Yes, well, I think that that is
1: one way to look at it. I think the way I've probably always seen it is like you can become an actor just by being a great actor. You can become a comedian by just, you know, really being a great comedian. But if those doors aren't being opened to you, if for some reason you're having trouble getting a representation or getting even in the door, uh, this is a way that you don't have to wait. you know you can you can go out there and just do it and make stuff on your own. And so I saw it always as just a freeing thing of like, cool, I can just go. I have this opportunity to I didn't have an agent for so long and so I wasn't being able to be submitted for stuff and I wanted to be acting so it was like, okay, well, if I can't get in the door then at least at least I can act today. Um,
0: and, and what took off? like when did you realize? Oh my God, like people talk about going viral and it can be in in all sorts of, that can mean a lot of different things numerically, um, in terms of algorithms and stuff, but like, what did that mean for you? And when did it hit well? So Emily Murnane is my good friend and we
1: worked together at Condé Nast and we had gotten, we had been making videos that did very well. So I was familiar with this feeling of like, whoa, this video that we made together is blowing up and getting a lot of millions of views. Um, But it was never attached, obviously, to my name. It was, we were doing it for a brand. And then when I started making videos on my own, there was a moment, maybe the third mom video I made, it was on Mother's Day, where It was the first time where a video that I made on my own went viral. Um, And how did that happen? It just, it just happened. I just remember I had posted like mom in New York. I think mom at Christmas, mom with technology. And I remember I I had just auditioned for a show and I hadn't gotten it. And I, I was sort of feeling like, all right, well, I'll just make, let me just edit. I had more footage from, and I was like, why don't I just, edit this other one to sort of, it was a nice way of just pouring myself into something. Yeah. And then I just, I, I mean, it's very cliche, but I do remember just posting it. And then my phone starting to like, you know, kind of slow down, which I don't even think happens to my phone. It, like, like it was almost like maybe an earlier version of an iPhone or something where it was just like, it couldn't. And then I just saw like Mark Hamill retweeted it. And I remember, yeah, there were a few big names and then it
0: Mark Hamill, it's so yeah. random. I know he's a big Mark Hamill. (laughs) Exactly. And, and do you, just because there are so many people a obsessed with you, but B who have like a unique voice, but don't under like so much of like the, there's like the Malcolm Gladwell way of looking at things, which is like, oh, she had this amazing talent. And then this good luck. She happened to have a job at Condé Nast where she, learned how to make these videos and right like there are all these things that kind of happen well, what are the Condé Nas videos were they what were you making and yes well I also think it definitely I would
1: just say it also my thing that I learned from once my dad died was like you, you got to be focused on like you don't have to be but for me it, it was helpful to know exactly what I want and to to head to it without fear mm. to know it and to be like, no, no, that's tell to start. I started just being like, no, I know I want to act because before my dad, I was kind of like afraid to say it. Oh, maybe I'll write, maybe I'll just stand up. But it was like, no, I want to act. Right. So, so like, for example, that Condé Nast job, I was a copywriter. I, I got it because I was writing blogs. So I, it was a three week copywriting gig, but because I was like, no, I know I want to act. I saw that there was this video group that seemed to be needing videos so I would just Mm. sort of try being like hey this is something that I I do act and if you ever need someone let me know I want to say it took maybe six I just kept staying on it maybe took like six months until they let me be in a video and then from there this girl Emily came on and then she really wanted to be a director and writer so we were like let's do this and so we kind of made it um from there so I find that now too. It's like saying no to certain things or really really going towards that one thing, that's changed everything for me, I think. Whereas before, yeah, I just probably would say yes to anything and kind of be a little bit in that,
0: yeah. Right. And then you got very tunnel vision. Like, does this help me reach my ultimate goal somehow? Yes, I say yes to it. And
1: am I saying yes out of fear or am I saying yes because it's something I want to do? I just think a lot of my actions before my dad died were fear-based and then I was like, try me, you know, I had been through, (laughs) sorry, I'd been through, you know, hell. And so it was just like, (laughs) it stopped. I, that wears off. I think like, you know, you, you get scared again and stuff and you lose perspective. But that first year I was like, no, I, I know this. And also maybe PTSD, whatever. But I, I just remember a, a strong feeling of I could die any minute. Like, like I really could be dying tomorrow. So I can't waste any time doing something that doesn't feel true to me, yeah.
0: Right, right, it's so powerful, it's so powerful. I think
1: people are going through that now. I think that the pandemic had a very similar function where we all kind of were woken up to like, nothing is forever and like, you know, you gotta go for what, what you want,
0: yeah. And so right before the pandemic, like things are really, like so much started to happen for you, right? Yeah. And so how, and I assume you got an agent. Is that connected to your videos? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: the, basically once that big video, once that video went up. Um, a, thank you, Mark Hamill. Thank you, Mark Hamill. He yes. Yeah, he, he <laughs> definitely, thank you, Mark Hamill. I should be sending him some cuts, but. um, <laughs> But we're not. Yeah. At that point I had a uh, couple people like DMing me and then like, Felicia Fasano, who's a who's an amazing casting director, DM'd me, and we were talking, and she set me up with some meetings in LA, and that's how I got my. So it was like through the grace of a, you know, uh, it was just a real like woman helping woman. Like she 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 did she like changed my life. Yeah.
0: And did she was she a part of the film Too Late? She wasn't. She wasn't. No. Okay. Yeah. And and did that movie, which is so great, so Too Late, you guys, is basically Alyssa plays. Uh, a woman who is an assistant to it's a maniacal um, stand, uh, comedian who has a, a, a comedy show and she is there to feed his narcissism and also keep his show going. And seeing this movie sort of gives you a picture into how you get booked in these small clubs before you are famous. and And it also just talks to this idea of how far are we willing to... I don't know, humiliate ourselves in, in, in in order to reach a goal that we think we have, or a certain kind of aspiration. Um, and Fred Armisen is in it along with some other amazing uh, comedians and you're so good in it. And, and it's so exciting to see you get to do what you want to do. That's how I felt. yeah. Yeah.
1: I really felt that way on that set every day. I felt like, yeah, that it was, this thing I set out to do, yeah, when I was like 15 or 16, it felt really awesome to be waking up every day and, and doing it, it felt, yeah, I, I,
0: yeah. What's the difference, and maybe it's hard to put into words, and, or maybe it's not, because I don't do stand-up, but like, talk a little bit about what it is to do stand-up in terms of, as an artist, and what it is to do a character that is scripted, perhaps by somebody else, as was the yes. case with this film. Yes, I think they're, yeah, I think the thing with stand-up is you,
1: and people might disagree with me, but you know, I think the thing with stand-up is you are a little bit at the mercy of the audience. Like your goal is, most people's goal is to like make the audience laugh. Uh, so I can find myself sometimes adjusting based on the audience. If they're responding or if they're not responding, you're kind of always like ready to, yeah, switch gears. I can mm-hmm. have shows that look very different. With acting, I think it's really joyful because you don't have to you're more just you're you're more just being honest to yourself and your character and you're being present with the person right there with you so listening is still part of both them is sort of like listening and feeling body language from someone but I think that stand up I'm more like coming out like I'm like you know more like put like pushing in a way and acting it's a lot more of just listening and and
0: being present with, with someone yeah so what is coming up like what acting things are coming up for you well yeah i feel one very
1: grateful i mean i did a lot of uh work over the pandemic by myself whether that was videos by myself or shooting stuff alone or doing commercial work which wasn't on my own but you know that is um yeah i was lucky to do that but there was always this fear of COVID and being close to people so it was kind of like a it was always a little bit stressful so I mostly just feel so grateful that now I can connect with people without feeling yeah weird so I'm shooting I want to say three short films in the next uh three months which is really fun and then basically in the fall we'll we'll see I have a lot of projects that I um, am developing and then I'm
0: also just auditioning but you are sponsored yes. now right yes like-
1: that's a great thing I I that's the great part of online is you can, I can always, yeah, I can always make videos and work with partners or brands and stuff.
0: Yes. And have, and get paid to do it. Like it's, it's an incredible thing that you've accomplished. Totally. Totally. And there's a lot of freedom in that
1: because then you're like, no, I'm just doing the thing I do, but then I'm getting someone to, to pay me for it.
0: Yes. It's incredible. You made all of that. Like it is so inspiring. It's so inspiring. It's so thrilling. Before I let you go. Yes. Uh, You've been warned about this. Um, is there a little-known fact you could share about you?
1: Little-known fact.
0: Again, it's like I share
1: too much, so there's not many things that aren't already out there. Um, I, I before I try before I did track. I want to say I tried out for probably five other sports. <laughs> I really wanted to be a cheerleader. And then all my, I didn't make a cheerleading team. And then I was like, all my friends were playing soccer. And so I was like, oh, I know I'll be, I couldn't, I didn't have any hand-eye coordination. So I was like, I'll be the goalie. I remember training to be a goalie, terrifying. Nothing looks easier than being a goalie. And then when you're in it, you're like, oh, I have to hurl my body. No, thank you. I tried out for lacrosse. Ter- very hard hand eye um and that might be it that might be it yeah and then I was like all right I guess I'll run yeah
0: great yeah. great guess what didn't know that,
1: that- there we go there you yeah. go um,
0: <laughs> I can't thank you enough thank you thank you for being on the show and uh I can't wait to see what you do next I am one of your biggest fans and I will be there cheering so you until so next time
1: you. Such a great interview
0: oh my god of course all right bye bye One more thing. So many of you have asked, "How do you donate to the podcast?" Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out, and I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous two hundred and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make two hundred more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that count. You know. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City and the little known facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa